if that pot could talk, the stories it would tell. Now to you, that's just a silver pot. To me, that pot means my great-grandma Hazel's cherry cookies. Every time we went in the summer, if that pot was on the, st- on the table or the counter, we knew it was going to be filled with her special cookies. Now, these are not any normal, ordinary cookie. It's a dough that you hand roll out and you cut, and then you place a little bit of fruit in the middle of, and then you take another piece of dough over the top and pinch it together and bake them. And they're these soft, kind of doughy, pillowy cookies that are just absolutely delicious. I remember eating them and looking forward to them every time we went. My dad tells stories about loving the ones with raisins in them, but I think the rest of us loved the cherry-filled ones. But when I see that pot, it stirs all kinds of memories. Memories of summers racing my brother around the mill that was just down the street on the gravel road to see who could get around that circle the fastest. Memories of walking down to the old country store and buying candy. Memories later on of making my grandma's cookies that ended in a ginormous flower fight with my aunt that made a mess of her entire house. And while that pot brings back a lot of good memories, it also serves as a reminder of loss. My grandma Hazel hasn't been around for a lot of Christmases now. But the truth is, her memories still live in our hearts. I still remember getting beat endlessly at Chinese checkers by my great-grandma. And there's part of us that yearn for that again. In the midst of all the fun and festive parties, making Christmas cookies and exchanging gifts, sometimes it feels weird to talk about loss or pain or hurt. I mean, nobody wants to walk into the office Christmas party and be crying, right? Why everybody else is opening gifts and having a bunch of good food. Nobody wants to be the party pooper. But maybe the truth is, A lot of us are struggling this holiday season. We're trying to figure out the right time to bring it up. Where do I talk about it? When do I talk about it? Do I just keep stuffing it down, buying another gift to cover all the pain? How do you talk about sorrow in the middle of Christmas? And let's be honest, I don't think it's any easier here at church. Right? We have tons of celebrations. We have kids' Christmas parties. We have all the traditions we have to live out every year. But maybe if we're honest, those traditions in their own right bring their own fair amount of pain because they remind us again of somebody who was here but isn't here. So where even in the church do we talk about pain and grief in the midst of the holiday season? I don't know what burden you walked in with today or you might be carrying into this Christmas, but if you're here and you're dealing with the death of a loved one this year and you're thinking, man, I just don't feel like celebrating. I can put on a pretty smile and get through a little bit of time, but I don't really want to throw a party this year. 
Maybe it's a loss of a close friend, a disagreement that severed a relationship and you're not sure how to go back. Maybe divorce is part of your story this year. And man, Thanksgiving was hard, but Christmas is going to be rougher. Maybe it's the choices of your adult child are making that are isolating them from your family and maybe even from faith. Or maybe if you're honest, the pain you feel this year is the same pain you've felt for the last five or six years. As you've just had this ache now. And every Christmas, it's still there in the pit of your stomach. I want you to know, first of all, I'm glad you're here. Secondly, you're not alone. And most importantly, I think the Christmas story, when we look at it, can actually provide comfort. I don't have any cliche sayings for you this morning or quick answers to your pain. I don't think those answers offer much comfort anyway. The truth of the Christmas story is not found in simply head knowledge of the story, memorizing a few key verses of the story, or cross-stitching a scene or a verse from the story on a pillow and throwing it on our couch at Christmas and saying, it'll all be okay. It's actually found in knowing that baby boy born in that manger. You see, true comfort over the Christmas season comes in a relationship with Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because Emmanuel brings hope amid our darkest hurts. Let that sink in. Emmanuel, God with us, brings hope amid our darkest hurts. If you're joining us for the first time this week or the first time in a while, whether you're in the room or online, thank you for being here. And welcome to week three of With a series where we're taking a look at what it means that God is with us. In week one, we looked at God with us in our failures. Paul did a great job last week looking at what it means that God is with us in our anxieties, and that got driven home by a personal story of one of our own. If you missed that, please go back and check it out. And this week, I want to look at what it means for God to be with us in our losses. You see, the power of the Christmas story is that the God of the universe stepped out of his perfect heaven and became a helpless baby to be with us, to share in our experiences, to know what we go through. I said in week one of this series, one of my favorite verses of the Christmas story is John 1, 14, and it says this. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You see, we live in a culture that wants to minimize loss, that wants to minimize grief, that minimizes sorrow but we worship a God who made his home among us and came with unfailing love and faithfulness for us even in those places. And I think as we look at this story and we look at the prophets who said Jesus would come, we get a picture that shows us we're not alone. 
Listen to Isaiah's words in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. This is Isaiah's description of what it will be like when Jesus comes. He says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future where the Gal- when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Darkness. It doesn't sound a lot like our festive holiday seasons and light shows, right? But the promise of Isaiah's words is that into those moments of despair, into those moments of darkness, a light will shine. God will come, and his presence, we know, will bring hope. But Isaiah is not the only one who talks about darkness and despair. I want you to think about the context in which Jesus steps as a baby. It's been 400 years in Israel since a prophet has spoken the word of God to the Israelites. 400 years of silence. I wonder if the Israelites thought God had forgot them. It would have been easy to do. They're living captive. They're living in in Roman occupation. We know through history, the Roman Empire is not the nicest place to live. And Herod, the king at the time of Jesus' birth, is paranoid. He's violent. He's savage. And he's afraid that somebody's going to come and steal his throne. And so he's pushing people down. It's into that place that who finds out about Jesus' birth? The shepherds, right? Now, we like to clean the shepherds up. We like them to wear nice white robes with blue sashes and carry perfectly groomed little lambs in their arms. And we feel like, oh, shepherds, they're such sweet men and women, and they do such great job caring for the sheep, right? That's not who shepherds are. Shepherds smell like sheep. I don't know if you've spent much time around sheep. They don't always smell great. Shepherds probably have scars that mark their bodies from fighting off wild animals that would have come to destroy the sheep. Shepherds wouldn't wear white robes. They'd be covered in dirt and other brown substances that add to the odor of the room. And shepherds are unclean. These shepherds aren't allowed to be around other people because if they're around other people, they'd become unclean. And then they couldn't go to the temple and worship. And so the angels come to the shepherds in the field that night because that's where the shepherds live, with the sheep. They're the social outcasts. They're living in isolation. And then we fast forward a couple years to the end of the Christmas story, and the wise men show up, right? These guys coming from the east, they stop first to see King Herod, and they're like, hey, listen, where's the king of the Jews? which immediately sends King Herod into a tailspin. He's like, wait, hold on. I'm the king. 
I'm over the Jews. There is no other king. So he creates a plan. He's like, hey, listen, you, go, you guys go find this king. I want to celebrate his birth too, so come back and tell me where he is. So the wise men keep following the star. They show up at the house where Jesus is now living, and toddler Jesus gets birthday presents from the wise men. And they come in and they hear Mary and Joseph's story of everything that's happened to them, and they worship this Jesus. But then in a dream, God warns them to go back the other way because if they go back to Herod, he's going to come and kill this baby. And at the same time, God comes to Joseph in a dream and says, you need to take your wife and child and flee to Egypt. And that's where I want to pick up the story, reading probably the least often read verses of the Christmas story in the Bible. Matthew 2.14 says this. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. They fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, and he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the stars of first appearance, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry will be heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. So here we are in the first Christmas. Silence of God. Isolation of the shepherds death of innocent children. And it's into that pain and that loss that Emmanuel steps, God with us. It's into our pain and our loss 2,000 years later that Emmanuel has come to be with us because it's only Emmanuel who brings hope amid our deepest hurts. If you've experienced loss this year or as you think about Christmas, you're dealing with pain or hurt inside, I want to invite you to not push this story aside, but to immerse yourself in the truth of the Christmas story. And then I want you to acknowledge your own pain. You see, I think we live in a place where we say, I'll just cover it up. I'll buy more gifts. We'll put up more Christmas lights. And this thing will pass. I'll get to January. It'll be okay. Fake it till you make it and we'll be all right. I don't think that's what the Christmas story wants us to do. I don't think that's the heart of God that it reveals because it reveals a God who loves you, who came to earth to make his home among us. And the best part of this story is that there's nothing we do to receive that. What I want you to learn this morning and I want to invite you to do is to simply be. I don't want you to walk out of here with a task list of what you need to go do today. I want to invite you to be. And to learn to be by trusting in these four promises of the Christmas story. First, Emmanuel is faithful. We read it in John 1.14, Emmanuel is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. For the Israelites in the first century, this baby is the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. He is the Messiah, the one that God would send to set the Israelites free. He'll rule on David's throne. 
He's a faithful fulfillment after 400 years of quiet. You see, God has been faithful to his people. He's been faithful all along through this book. It's the story of this book. One story from start to finish of a God who loves us, who wants nothing more than to live in community with us. And our choices break that. And we end up separated from God. And then God sends Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, to restore that relationship, to do what we can't do. And now we wait in hope of its ultimate fulfillment and the end of all things and that relationship to be restored to perfect harmony the way God intended for it to be. You see, God is and always has been faithful to keep his promises to his people. But when we're in places of pain and hurt and loss, it's hard to see that. I remember Christmas 1990. That's the year on December 21st that my grandpa lost his battle with cancer. I remember sitting around the Christmas tree that year. And there was still a tree, there were still lights, there were still decorations, there were still presents. But it felt a little bit different. It felt different as each family member grieved the loss of my grandpa. It felt different even at 12 to realize I'm not going to get to do all the same fun things I did with Grandpa on the farm all along. And I think I'd be lying if I told you that I felt God's presence in that moment. What I've seen over the years is God's faithfulness in the midst of that pain. As I think back now, I can think back of the memories I had with my Grandpa, the times we shared together of walking the farm, of going into town and getting ice cream. He's the one who taught me to shoot a gun. Can I say that in church? It's true. He's the one who, now we talk a little funny in West Virginia. If you don't know that, there's there's some funny things. And so my grandpa had a picnic shelter. They always had a big like kettle that had a fire in it. And my brother and I as boys would shove sticks in that fire. That's what you do. And then we'd flip things out of it. And he would say, boys, you're making a muss. For the rest of you, that's M-E-S-S, mess. But in West Virginia, that was muss. And I remember those stories, but I remember that Grandpa loved us. He wanted to spend time with us. And so when you find yourself in these places of pain and loss, two things I do to help myself remember God's faithfulness in the middle of that. Think back to times when God's been faithful before. When can I think back in my life and I can see God showed up and God eased the pain and God gave rest? And then I turn to my favorite stories or passages of Scripture that remind me of God's faithfulness. Now, these things don't remove the hurt, but they remind me that God is going to be faithful to His promises. And I think they'll remind you as well of God's faithfulness. And one of those promises that God is faithful to is that Emmanuel is close. When we're in this place of hurt, we're not alone. 
Psalm 23, 4 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. This verse pulled from one of the best known and most memorized passages of Scripture reminds us of the truth that God is with us in the midst of life's most difficult times. Circumstances might be scary. Things might be going on that feel outside of our control, but we're not alone in that moment. And what I want you to see here is that the author of the psalm is walking. He doesn't say, even when I sit in the darkest valley. That action of walking is a reminder that this valley is something we're going to go through and come out on the other side of. Not in our own strength, but because God is with us. So many of the Christmas carols invite us to experience this comfort and hope of God with us. Think about, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It says, from the depths of hell thy people save and give, us, give them victory o'er the grave. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death dark shadows put to flight. Go back to Isaiah's words. In the midst of the darkness, light has come and that light dwells with you and I. In the midst of those pains, God is there Maybe hark the herald angels sing is more your favorite. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Jesus has come so that in the midst of our hurt and pain we can experience healing. The writers of scripture and the carols knew that in this life we would experience death, heartache, and pain but they also knew that God would not leave us alone in those trials. And my prayer is if that's where you find yourself this holiday season, that as you learn to be, you'll feel God's presence with you in that place and know that you're not alone. The third promise of the Christmas story is that Emmanuel knows. God with us knows our hurt. He knows our pain. And he doesn't just know what we're going through. He knows it because he felt it and experienced it. Listen to Simeon's prophecy to Mary about what would come to this baby. Simeon says, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. This baby born in a manger is going to grow to walk as a man to a cross to bear the guilt of our sin and our shame. Why? Because he loves us. Because he came to dwell among us. Joni Erickson Tata says, When God weeps, in her book, When God Weeps, Why Our Sufferings Matter to the Almighty, she says this, The Father watches as his heart's treasure, the mirror image of himself, sinks drowning in raw, liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against mankind from every century explodes in a single direction. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? 
but heaven stops its ears. The sun stares, stares up at the one who cannot, who will not reach down and reply. The Trinity had planned it. The Son endured it. The Spirit enabled it. The Father rejected the Son whom he loved. Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth, perished. The Father accepted his sacrifice for sin and was satisfied. The rescue was accomplished. God had set down his saw. This is the one who asks us to trust him when he calls on us to suffer. Church, Emmanuel knows our pain. He knows our pain because we're the only faith whose God dared to step out of their perfect place and walk alongside you and me. He knows our pain because he can empathize with it, because he felt it, God the Father felt it as he watched the Son bear our sin on the cross. God stepped into our mess. He stepped into our world. He stepped into our loss. And he can empathize with what we experience. And it's because he stepped in that we cling to the final promise that Emmanuel is our hope. It's because God was faithful to his promise to send a savior. It's because Emmanuel has come and lived as one of us. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave that we have hope that God will remain faithful. In the church, we look at this time leading up to Christmas, these four weeks, it's often called Advent. Advent's a fancy church way of saying waiting. And we are waiting We're waiting like those at the first Christmas, but not waiting for the Messiah to come the first time, but the second. Because when he comes again, Emmanuel will bring hope amid our deepest hurts. I want you to know, if your heart breaks this Christmas over the loss of someone or something, it's okay to feel that pain. It's okay to cry out to God in that pain. It's okay to talk to a friend about that. It's okay to not put on a pretty face and act like everything's okay. As a matter of fact, I'd encourage you to experience that pain. To not try to hide it, but to embrace it. Because that pain's temporary. Every Christmas, my aunt brings my great-grandma Hazel's cookies. We remember the love that was shared. We enjoy the food and the comfort that food brings. But we hope for a better future. And we remember the truth of Revelation 21, 1 through 4 that says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain All these things are gone 
forever. You see, church, the hope of God with us is that we have a brighter future. And it's Emmanuel, a relationship with God who came and dwelt among us, who brings hope amid our deepest fears. If you're here this morning and this is your Christmas experience, you're like, I've been putting on a face, but life hurts right now. I want you to know as we sing this last song, there'll be prayer workers on the side of the room. Our staff will be around. We would love to walk with you through that. We would love to be God's presence in your life and to remind you of that and to pray for you. And so if you need prayer this morning, please, there's nothing embarrassing about struggling. We would love to pray with you. Or if you just need to take a moment in your seat and sit quietly, that's fine. But when you're ready, I want to encourage you and welcome you to stand and sing and to cling to the hope that there's a brighter future for all of us. Will you pray with me? Dearly Father, it feels weird to talk about pain and sadness at Christmas. It's supposed to be happy times. Everything's supposed to be great. But God, sometimes that's not our reality. We live in a broken and fallen world and our lives hurt. And so God, I ask and pray that in the midst of that, we would claim these promises. We would hold tight to them as we embrace our grief. God, that most of all, we know we're not alone, that you are with us. And God, that we would remember that this pain is temporary and there's a hope that outlasts it, awaiting for each and every one of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.